Hey guys, before we get started, I just want to let you know that we interviewed Tony Schiavone. Uh, Dave Schilling and I sat down, talked to Tony Schiavone for about 30, 40 minutes, and it's at the end of this episode. So stick around and enjoy the show, humanoids. What's up, guys? This is your girl, WWE Superstar, the legit boss, Sasha Banks. Hey, this is WWE Superstar, Braun Strowman. My name's Kevin Owens. I'm uh, Shinsuke Nakamura. I'm AJ Styles, the phenomenal one, if you will, and you're listening to The Masked Man Show. And you are listening to The Masked Man Show. And you're listening to The Masked Man Show. Welcome to The Masked Man Show. I'm sitting here in the lavish office of the godfather Bill Simmons with Dave Schilling and... The Silver Lake heartthrob, Steve Kazee. How you doing, man? I'm good, man. How are you? Dave? I've been in here one other time, and I didn't notice that Bill has the the single of the uh, LA Rams anthem, Ram It, yeah. which is maybe the greatest sports anthem of all time. Back at Grantland, there was a point where we were talking about doing a, like, rounding up all of the football teams and wrestlers and everybody else who did, like, Super Bowl shuffle knockoffs, and it turned out there were just, like, 8,000 of them, and there's no way to comprehensively <laughs> do it. I mean, there were, like... Like every indie wrestling, I mean, not indie, every territorial wrestling promotion back in the 80s did a Super Bowl shuffle knockoff. Oh, man. We, we got to at least get the top 10. Um, yeah. Well, maybe not every. Maybe it's like three. But anyway, um, so we did not have a pay-per-view this weekend. We don't have one this coming weekend. So this is a real, real oasis what for a us. beautiful treat. But we did have Monday Night Raw in Los Angeles. Yes. And all three of us were there. None of us were sitting together. No. no. If you could combine all of our views, you'd probably have a really great 3D impression of what it's like to go to a live Raw. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, let's see. I was by the Titan Tron. Shoemaker was in a luxury box. And Steve was in the backstage area. So <laughs> everybody got to get a Steve good, was, good view of it, the show. I, I, you know, I had to rewatch, obviously, because I, you got to watch it, the TV version after you're there live because you don't know what the hell was happening when you're there live. Turned on Hulu yesterday and the, like within the first 30 seconds, Steve Kazee is there cheering Roman Reigns. Full out. Just wow. Like, I was marking front and out center hard. And like they, they just framed him in the camera. It was amazing. Yeah. If only we had recordings of all the nasty things you've said about Roman Reigns in the past. <laughs> oh, no. I'm, I've always been a Roman Reigns mm, guy. Okay. I don't know. I, Jim, I, do some digging and see yeah, if that's actually see if I've ever. I've never, I, I think he gets a bad rap. I feel like I'm getting worked right now. Um, yeah, he does. I mean, listen, uh, the, the valet who was there with me, she's a, she is a Roman Reigns fan, uh, partly for aesthetic reasons, but she, you know, she, I think feels kind of bad for him when everybody boos him. And so she's like, she's trying to cheer for him. And we talked to somebody, uh, who will remain nameless. Who's a, a WWE employee after the show. And that person was just like, yeah, why do we turn him heel? He's the best. He's already the best heel in the business. He's you know, the whatever. Best just, heel in the business. And it's somebody. You know, it's it was it was impressive to hear it, those words come out of a, an official person's mouth. But anyway, that the valet was 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 won over uh, and loves Roman Reigns even more. Also, and I'll just skip right to the end. Um, I've talked before about how house shows are an incredibly cool, like different way to view the product, and you understand like WWE's view is different than our view as fans because they're seeing all these house shows too. But uh, one of the big winners of the night, I think, for all of us was Seth Rollins because he worked a really good, like, pure babyface dark match after the show against yeah. Bray Wyatt and then spent 15 minutes, like, slapping hands at ringside and taking pictures with kids 
and like kind of like just getting the crowd to pop for him. And it was just like I jumped a, up on the barrier at one point and yeah. it was just like it was like a Christ like moment. He was just had his hands out and everybody like rushed the stage and trying I, to get a shot. It's a little bit artificial because it was very much like going to see a house show in that. I mean, I don't mean artificial in a bad way, but when you go to a house show, the fans, you're kind of all in it together. The cameras are off. There's no more snark. There's no more trying to put yourself over for the people watching at home, yeah. meaning the fans, but also the wrestlers. It's a very intimate experience. Um, so, of course, you cheer the baby face. Of course, you you know, you mark out or whatever. But, man, he 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 seemed like he seemed like that pure baby face that I've never quite I, I could never quite wrap my mind around him being that guy for WWE. Yeah, I, I was sold and I've been the most skeptical person about him on this show but he did it for me i don't know if it was not having to deal with the storylines or the cameras or just the freedom to get out there and and do this sort of corny babyface stuff that we used to make fun of in the 90s that now actually seems kind of refreshing yeah yeah well, Steve, how was the front row? The front row you, you, you was pick amazing. Up, you pick up any important tidbits for the for the listeners here? Uh, I, only that people seem pretty frustrated with that Lavar Ball skit. <laughs> oh my god, pretty bad. How did I not open with that? But the, uh, the 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 entertainers themselves seemed a little frustrated. Like in the commercial break, there was some definite chatter happening between you know our foes Dean Ambrose and Mike the Miz about sort of some gentle ribbing about how well that <laughs> bit had gone off. Well, it was. Go ahead. I was going to say I, I had to write about it that night. And the problem that I had that I expressed in, in my piece was it wasn't a wrestling angle. Yeah. There was no payoff. There was then they just booked a weird six man tag that had nothing to do with LeVar Ball. The match was a bathroom break for everyone in my section and it didn't get over. Yeah. yeah. I, I will say I have a, a couple of thoughts on this. Um, one, I mean, I don't I don't think we know what happened. I watched Raw expecting to get some clarity about like the segment, the segment cuts and like what because I just couldn't tell from where I was sitting when the cameras were turning off. It seemed like production was getting screamed at and just like, you know, like there were a lot of like abrupt decisions being made. He had his back to the camera the entire time. Yeah. Like you've got to at least know if you're going to walk in that ring, which side uh, is camera side. Yes. Yes. It did. And it definitely felt like they cut it short. Yeah. The Dean came out there to kind of like bail out the segment. And then even Dean's segment was cut short after, you know, things were happening in the ring. Um, it was, it was very strange. One, I'll say it, it might've been the plan that the balls were supposed to be out there for that tag match. If that, even if that's true, it was it was the stupidest decision booking decision. I'm going to forgive them for it not being uh, like paying off in a wrestling sense for the sake of this argument. But like that, it, that might have been the moment. Who knows how many people watched that? But that was a real chance for crossover, you know, for yeah. like re- casual wrestling fans to tune in. And they followed it up with like literally the worst match they could have booked. <laughs> if you looked at the roster the, the the raw roster that it couldn't have been any worse than that. I don't know how you don't put him next to Titus Brand and have that well, be the thing. Have those two guys going at each other. I, I mean, I guess maybe it's they feel like Titus isn't able to talk as well as the Miz, but still, that's I I feel like there would have been a lot more to be mined from that. Sure, I mean Titus is playing Lavar Ball basically. basically. You know, I mean yeah. that 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 would have made a lot of sense. I think they wanted to get him out there. And Schilling and I talked about this yesterday. I think off off mic, but um. It was if you're the Miz, if the Miz was frustrated about that game, about that angle, I understand. Right. 
But part, I mean, doing Miz TV is part of his gimmick, right? You know, he has the in-ring interview segment, so like that's that's part of what he does. You know, if if it's Levar Ball that's coming on, it's probably going to be on Miz TV. If it's you know uh, whoever else, if Jerry Springer comes back, it'll probably be a Miz TV gimmick at this point. You know, yeah. I mean, that's part of what has gotten Miz over. I mean, right. and his very hard work and incredible talent. But that's part of his thing. Um, but yeah, it was really weird. So anyway, watch it, rewatching it on on you know uh, the actual broadcast. It was no clearer to me. I mean, I, like I had I perceived everything correctly there live, which was that it was a total clusterfuck. I mean, this is not a wrestling conversation. This might venture into sports a little bit, but I was actually surprised how little of a pop that Lonzo Ball got in Staples, regardless of it being wrestling fans or not. I thought for sure Lavar would get booed and Lonzo would get a good pop sure. when he came he out. Got a little, he got a pop when, it he, was when he better said than, Staples Center. Yeah, it was better than than Lavar and, and when. Uh, you know, when the Miz was talking about the Lakers and all that stuff, people got excited. But could you hear me on the broadcast cheering "Let's Go Clippers" every two seconds when it was no, playing? Oh, I'm oh my glad god, I didn't I was watch the broadcast. Are you actually a Clippers fan? No, you oh, sick okay. bastard. <laughs> every time it was quiet, though, I was like, "Let's go Clippers." Uh, okay, yeah, you're the only person who's ever chanted "Let's Go Clippers" at Staples Center. <laughs> well, definitely uh, now. So, my problem with the with the whole thing is that it's obvious to me, and it should have been obvious to everyone, that Levar Ball was going to go over as a heel. Yeah. And then they put him in with the heel. ring as a baby face with a heel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like that guy's going to get booed. And what people want to see is for him to eat a stunner or a, a dirty deeds or some I sort of. I don't know like, why I didn't take a bump. Like, how do you do all that and not take a bump? I don't know. Skull crushing. You're going to take your shirt like, off and, and do karate. You, you better be ready to take a bump. I mean, I think that the answer is obvious that just like, you know, when whoever at WWE was realizing that this is a perfect fit for them and they got to do it, like it never occurred to them that someone that they were hearing about over and over again would have was a was a heel. You know, he's the biggest heel in sports. And, and then especially you play like him as a baby face. Lonzo in Staples Center. I mean, listen, guys, at the end of the day. We will always be able to say that Lonzo Ball's first Staples Center appearance <laughs> was on Monday Night Raw. Absolutely. Well, I'm just going to say, like, literally every time he comes up and works slack for the next two years, that's what I'm just going to just drop in a drop in that clip. And so LeVar, how are you not wearing your shoes? These shoes. They don't exist. No, they were wearing them. Oh, they well, were? He, no, he had on flip flops. Yeah, but oh, LeVar. Yeah, they, they, LeVar were the, they were the, the baller brand shower shoes, yeah, but still. Yeah, like, LeVar was wearing the Zotus. Oh, was he? Yeah. Okay. That guy's no fool, man. He knows. <laughs> he gets it. Oh man. Um well, but Lavar was great. If he could be if he could be tamed slightly, he would have been the greatest, like one of the all-time great 80s managers. Yeah, but that dude cannot be tamed. And we saw that on but Monday. Can he not? Like I think I thought that the rap on him was that he was like like a just a semi-regular dude when the cameras aren't on. No way. Yeah, no. He There's like, no way. He's he a like, psychopath. Okay, maybe so, but you always he got, hear like, who was it? The ESPN went out there and like and interviewed him, and he was like coaching his his AAU team, and he like cooked him all dinner afterwards, and was pretty low key the whole time. Like, sure, it, but the cameras were on. That's true, and he was not playing ball with the mix. No pun no. intended. <laughs> yeah, no pun intended here at all. Uh, he was not a willing participant. He was not giving anything, and and that's one of the tenets of professional wrestling in the ring or in a promo is that you have to give and take and you have to be a dance partner for the other person. But he was just 
in his own world, man. Well, I do have a little backstage info on this. Oh, can you I divulge? I did hear a little muttering backstage uh, between some stagehands and some crew people. They didn't have a lot of time to rehearse because the the morning meeting had gone long. And then the doors at Staples, because it's an early show, sure. opened at three. So they had basically from one thirty to three oh, no. to try to get things moving and try to get things going. And they just didn't have a lot of rehearsal time. And I'm not sure if that affected the ball segment or not. But I think one thing we can say for certainty is that that's probably the most between that and the promos for the next pay-per-view, the most utterances of the word ball <laughs> since the attitude era. Yeah. Just Speaking a lot of, of promos, ball talk. If I can segue away from the ball family, because we can't talk about them for, and we could talk about them for an hour. Yeah. Um, I say it every time we, we go to a raw, we go to a live raw, but man, uh, going to pay-per-views is awesome. Going to house shows, as I just said, is fucking awesome. Going to see live Monday Night Raw is legitimately 65% in-house ads. It's like WWE cares promo packages. Yeah. And it's insane. I was starting to really eat up that propaganda, man. I was like, WWE (laughs) really does care. Oh, my God. Look at those veterans and like sick kids. Jeez. This this company is saving the world one sick kid at a time. The video game, the the 2K18 commercial is great. I heard them talk. Oh, we can, I guess we should, we we can officially acknowledge that on the air that when we interviewed, who were we interviewing? AJ? And there was this crazy screaming going on in the background. That was Owens doing a the setup or doing one of those commercials, just like screaming into the camera, which some of our listeners identified on Twitter. Yeah. Which is weird, like incredible, incredible ear guys. Um, But yeah, they, we weren't there for the Seth Rollins commercial. That was, I guess the day before, but I, we had heard about it and it, wow. I mean, it was, it was better than I expected. I mean, it was a really, really cool. I mean, I don't get that excited for, for anything except for, it's not real life wrestling, but that was, that made me excited about a video game. Um, Anyway, uh, did anything else happen at Raw that we need that 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 our firsthand accounts can shed some light we on? We did not get Stone Cold Steve Austin, and every single person in that arena was expecting Stone Cold Steve Austin. Really? Why? Just because of the T-shirts? The rumors on the internet were all abuzz with the idea that he would be there because of the T-shirt and because he lives in Marina Del Rey. Right. Like, it would be easy for him to just get on the freeway and come to the show. Right. So people were decked out in like matching Austin jean jackets and old t-shirts, new t-shirts. I did buy one of the Los Angeles 316 Oh, you t-shirts. got one? Oh, yeah. sold out when I went up. Yeah. Well, that's why you get Collector's to the show. Either. Don't you know some people that can hook you up with Probably stuff? Probably at this point. <laughs> Grab one from backstage. Uh, but yeah, that was a, I think that, that selling the shirt, I don't think they knew that people were going to assume he would be there. Yeah. yeah but you gotta, that was you, a big letdown. Yeah. You gotta like put the word out a little bit because you just have a deflated crowd yeah well let's um, talk about lesnar too lesnar and samoa joe i kind of love that angle i do too people were disappointed that lesnar was barely on the show but that got joe over oh for sure and not only that but like <laughs> people are disappointed by because they want to see more lesnar which is exactly what they want you to feel yeah yeah because he got such a huge pop when it that did, music went off. I mean, I feel like I'm a like a you know 65 year old uh, like former wrestling booker doing a podcast, but it does feel like a little bit of like a violation of whatever the rules of wrestling are that you would hype up a Brock Lesnar appearance to that degree and then just have him get choked out. And that's and it, if it was a one time thing and it was supposed to be like I can't believe they did that moment, that's fine. But that's like kind of every Lesnar appearance now. It's like oh my god, Lesnar's gonna be back, and then it's just like 
30 seconds of nothing. Well, you have to make Joe a believable opponent, right? And like uh, the the knock on Joe in the beginning was that, oh, well, he's not, you know, he's not going to be able to like be as like much of a beast as Brock Lesnar. There's going to be a, uh, a squash. Like it's just not going to. So you've had to spend the last few weeks like really making Joe seem ruthless when he chokes out Paul Heyman. You know, he's like really going after people. I think it's been brilliant the way. I agree. From from the, from the moment he hurt Seth Rollins' leg, they have done a great job with Samoa Joe. Mm-hmm. Before that, I was a little little like what are they going to do with him when he gets up ever since that moment i think they're just playing exactly the right way yeah uh i mean i think they could have had a few more guys from the back come to pull him off it was like who did it end up being the revival it, oh, was yeah. it even both of the revival I yeah i think it was both no of no, no, no it was i think was scott, dawson scott dawson and carl anderson yeah and like scotty flamengo was there it was just like <laughs> they like iron mike sharp came out to help like it was really it, it was, was just terrible it was yeah. also weird because i was there early so i got to see the main event matches yeah. for the show the taping and the first match on the main event taping was the revival versus Anderson and Gallows. Bro, what is happening? So if there was any sort of continuity, it would be like, why are these two guys hanging out? Yeah. And they just wrestled. But there's no continuity between Raw and whatever show no one watches. Is there that much going on right now in, in on Monday Night Raw that, that that match is getting buried on main event? Like I don't know the revival. It really seemed like we club. didn't have that many matches on Monday night. I know that's what I'm saying. Like yeah, how, I mean I we did understand. have. We can run through it a little bit. I mean how, there's really not that much to talk about. It felt like a house show. We got. I mean except there was a lot of just dead air between the stuff. Well, we can definitely talk about the women's gauntlet. Well, let's, we'll talk about that first. Let's talk about um, Enzo and Cass. Oh yeah, <laughs> my um, favorite moment of the night. <laughs> Did anybody in, Can, in wait, that wait, arena? Before we get to Enzo and Cass, sorry. I, I, there's something I've been meaning to ask. Steve Kazee. Yeah. Do you, uh, are there moments, d- does it hurt your heart to watch Elias Sampson perform? Do you ever think like that, <laughs> that should be me? Yeah. yeah, a little bit. And, but then I have to tell you, like we were backstage uh, after the show. I was walking out uh, from the backstage area and he was standing right next to me. I was having a conversation with someone. He was standing right next to me and I looked at him and he looked at me and we just kind of stared at each other for a second. <laughs> and I was like, great show tonight. And he was like, oh, thanks, man. He was like the nicest fucking guy. Of course, they always are. I, but like, you know, you, I hate that fucking guy so much. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think he's going to be... Here, here's the, Someone asked me what I thought about him. So I think one of the, like a listener asked me what I thought about him. And I was like, I first of all, I'm very into him. I don't want this to sound disparaging. I have no no idea if he is a good wrestler. And it, like, it's the same way. Like, I don't know if he's, if he's a good singer. Like, clearly he's like, he's he's burying himself with these songs for like sure. that is the gimmick for sure but it, but on some level you have to be like somewhat talented to do to perform as poorly as he's performing yeah right i think there's a part of it that is that i think it's also you know in nxt it was such a serious gimmick like they were trying to really make that work like yeah. you know the drifter and all that kind of stuff and it was just clear how ridiculous it was and and good for him to just lean into it yeah because that's what you have to do i mean that's the thing we're talking about with roman reigns like lean into it yeah because you're already there so just make it even better because then that's going to pay off when you want to turn the other direction yep so and i do think he's a good wrestler from everything i've watched him doing nxt yeah. and even up here he, i think he's good i'm a little confused about him and finn balor like i don't know what that angle is i thought for sure it was going to be bray wyatt finn balor going into SummerSlam. sure they seem they were definitely booking in that direction i yeah. think they probably just wanted seth to have a, a semi high profile feud Opponent, yeah. with the video game thing coming out right and finn balor's is kind of like the last 
skittle in the bowl like, well i guess <laughs> i mean i don't mind this though if they give yeah. them i mean they're not going to give them time but there's a way that they can book this they can way they can book this match that'll make both both guys look slightly better and and listen i mean it's gonna be a fine great balls of fire match exactly exactly <laughs> like we can't not every pay-per-view is going to be a six-way main event for the belt you right. know yeah. with all of our favorite wrestlers and they're getting 12 minutes of of their high spots right. you know yeah. i mean we, like we have to start seeing these single brand pay-per-views less as pay-per-views in the traditional sense of it's a huge super card and more of it's kind of like a clash of the champions but slightly less work rate yeah you know clash of the champions you'd get a 35 40 minute match sometimes yeah Yeah. um you're not going to necessarily get that on great balls of fire but you are getting you know one or two or three really exciting high profile matches and then some stuff for everybody else to do yeah and it's fine that was so, the six man that i thought worked that night because it, it, it was made cesaro and sheamus sitting there with him was was hilarious yeah them getting cut off by the hardys worked so well yeah balor coming out and you know throwing a little like uh homage to the hardys was all good he had some nice stuff with samson so it was a good match i thought for everybody overall i mean if they let samson get cut off on it like by whoever his opponent is on a weekly basis we might get to the point where the crowd wants to hear the song oh. like that's like they, they actually, there's a way to make this work and that's it, how you win in this business yeah. right um the la- and the last spot with that was just very old school but like very i mean not jumping off the top rope feet first on your opponent old school but like there was a very it was like everybody got all the faces got their little spots in yeah to clear out for finn to do the big the big coup de gras and uh it was really well done um Speaking of getting uh, walloped, uh, we talked about Samoa Joe um, taking out Brock Lesnar. Uh, there, there were two other uh, big wallopings. One was um, one was Roman Reigns getting thrown into the side of an ambulance by Braun Strowman, which is very succinct, but I think did the job. And the other was uh, Enzo, after much discussion and a and a folk at a fake reunion, um, getting taken out again by Big Cass. Um, were were either or both of those fulfilling to you guys? I like them both. Oh, I love. I thought both. the ambulance spot was great. It was a great way to start the show. I tweeted uh, when it was going on that when the ambulance siren went off, I thought Scott Steiner was coming back. <laughs> like I was ready to pop huge for big pop of pump. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, I will never get tired of Strowman throwing around Roman Reigns. Yeah, like that's just money. Those guys are great together. And then the uh, Enzo and Big Cast thing, I don't think anybody believed that they were getting back together. I think it was clear. But, you know, just a little extra salt and pepper on that heel turn isn't yeah. going to make me mad. <clears throat> and, well, and Enzo is fully established as the dumbest baby face on the roster. I'm going to mm-hmm. admit to something right now. Okay. I literally, for a moment, thought... <laughs> You I were, thought, oh man, there's been such an outcry. They're gonna reshuffle yeah. this, and maybe, maybe they'll like do it again in a couple of months. But like, there'll be another angle to it. So I, because when they started walking up the ramp, I was like, holy crap! I had such an incredulous look on my face, and then I realized how ridiculous I must look. Yeah. And then I turned around and said to someone that was sitting behind me, I was like, wait till they get up to the ramp. I guarantee you, somebody's about to get leveled. Mm-hmm. And as soon as, no sooner that I said that, it happened. So it's like it was perfect. I it was perfect. I think they're perilously close to getting Cass over as a babyface because of just how wrestling fans are and it's like oh that was a really cool angle and he's such a badass All right but he's supposed to be a bad guy so yeah. hopefully this they do the one match they get it over with they move Enzo to 205 live and let him wrestle Neville and win the belt at WrestleMania or something and then let Cass have his his uh his heel run because yeah. if they keep doing this at some point they're going to start cheering him yeah, no, it's true. I mean, I, I thought that the um, 
uh, yeah, I, I was I was slightly seduced by the Enzo and Cass thing. I don't think I thought they were going to get back together for good. Although, yeah, I could totally see the outcry thing happening and just sort of like counterbooking. But putting him in that spot to undo it would have been a little bit odd. But uh, Steve, you and I were talking about this before we went on. We we started recording, but like l- everything, we, we we make predictions for pay per views. You know, we predict where things are going on uh, Monday Night Raw. But but nothing is ever final. You know, it's like they did this. They did the breakup gimmick last week, mm-hmm. and they just did it again this week to mm-hmm. ice it. Just like on SmackDown, we're gonna have, we're having we had like both the the women's championship match and the money in the bank match just do overs from the last pay-per-view you know it's like it's so silly to try to even predict what's going to happen because they might just say like ah tonight's not the night we'll just do this gimmick we'll do this angle for real in two weeks you know it's just so it's that part's a little bit frustrating but um i thought that uh, you know cast cat i i think they they booked enzo and cast pretty well yeah um and uh roman getting thrown in the side of that ambulance was was just really fantastic no way to fake that oh my gosh it was it was very good yeah very good um and by the way they booked uh, let's give wwe's you know producer or whoever some credit that was or the the whoever's writing it that was a really great opening segment just in the fact that they let roman go out and, and take the booze that they knew he was going to get and then they gave braun just that one cheer at the end to accept the adulation of the smarky Los Angeles crowd, but they didn't overdo it. If they yeah. had put him in the ring with a promo, it would have just been like nonstop cheers and would have thrown the whole, you know, the whole storyline off. Yeah. Um, I thought that was really well done. And they, then we end the show with a title match or with a number one contendership gauntlet match, um, which was booked, you know, maybe this is hindsight, but pretty straightforwardly. They had two people they were trying to get over and they, they did it in a very, you know, simple, but, effective way um i feel proud for having called sasha banks as the number one contender several weeks ago i thought it was the only way forward for that raw women's roster which looked real thin kind of out of nowhere as of like a month ago yeah um but yeah i mean i'm excited for sasha and alexa and i thought that was you know they did a good job with nia Jax. um there was a it was a long match i think we Um, needed two less count outs I yeah. think I would have been fine with two less countouts, but it was fine. You mean in the, the final Nia yeah, Jax versus Sasha showdown? Like even up to that point, I mean, it was, I don't even remember what sequence it was happening. I mean, the, the, that the matches happened at this point, but you know, there were some, they definitely dragged it out. And I think they were, I think it was a pretty effective use of just like, you know, setting expectations or lowering expectations a little bit or slowing down your heartbeat a little bit yeah. so that the finish could be, you know, a submission finish is always really hard the in finish an upbeat was incredible, match, I and they, they did it right. They nailed it. My problem with the whole thing was I don't know if I buy Nia Jax as a, as a heel. I don't think uh, that she's dastardly or scary looking. She's She needs new music. She needs, <laughs> she needs new music, new ring gear. Uh, I just, I'm not afraid of her in the way that a monster heel should terrify me it's like funny Braun Strowman I'm like oh that guy could kick the shit out of me it doesn't read on camera because I went back and watched as well it doesn't read on camera but being that close to the ring I mean she literally at one point grabbed her and tossed her out of the ring was like get this bitch out of the ring so like if she can keep going in that direction yeah. and just become like this nasty like who doesn't give a shit but the problem is, is when they put her opposite of Alexa Bliss she's immediately lovable that that duo yeah, is like so cute. lovable because yeah. they're real friends yeah like and out shows. of the ring yeah so you got to figure out a different way. I agree with you. Maybe some new music, darken uh, her up a little bit. I will say that before the uh, before the 
the money before money in the bank i said that it was sad that we didn't have all the women in the first like in the entire company in the in the or the or the six best women in the first ever women's money in the bank and i specifically said it's going to be kind of lame seeing tamina snuka doing the spots that nia Jax should be doing uh, that said and seamless segue into smackdown Tamina Snuka looked like a real monster on Tuesday yeah, night. Yeah, she came off well last night, I it's, thought. It's all in the face. Like, her face makes me feel like she's a heel. And that's not, to, you know, any sort of aesthetic um, sort of criticism. It's just she looks like a heel. And Nia Jax doesn't look like a heel to me. And they need to do something to give her a little bit more of that edge that Tamina just has naturally. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's... I, I, I think that's definitely true. Because it could have been a bigger moment for Sasha to to win that match. It was a it was a it, I mean, people popped for it, but there was a point in time where people were kind of like, "Oh, it's really fun to see Nia Jax beat the crap out of Sasha." Yeah, yeah. I will say the, there was a I, I I couldn't quite tell what I thought about Angle coming out at the end. I mean, I guess his music always kind of pops the crowd, but to have him, it just seems sort of beside the point at in, at this point in June 2017 to have him come out and sort of like just raise Sasha's hand, like acknowledging that she's one of the best. Like we all know she's one of the best. Yeah, it, <laughs> felt, it just felt like a, it felt like a, Hey, we're in Los Angeles. We need to show these people Kurt angle. Yeah. Like, Cause that's probably and true. Dude seemed to love to come out and raise her hand. Yeah. Cause it happened yeah. with flair too. That's true. Like, that's right. How many more male wrestlers that are retired are going to come out and give her the rub? <laughs> um, well, uh, speaking of flares, uh, we should quickly touch on the, the money in the bank rematch. Um, Again, we have seen this match before, and this was, I, I think, in some ways, a better match than the pay-per-view match. I think the the well, I was going to say there were fewer high spots. There were different. The high spots seemed a little bit less death-defying, but there were a lot of big moments in this match. Yeah, um, the whole thing felt a little more aggressive to me. Yes, like I felt like there might have been some like real like there was some there was some stiff work going on. Charlotte and Natalia especially were really just putting their bodies on the line, which they usually do anyway. But uh, to me, that was my biggest takeaway is like, it just felt more physical and not a lot is like death defying spots, yeah. but the spots felt like I thought people were going to get hurt. And they, they knocked over ladders with people on them like 10 times during the match. Every, every one, every time it was fun. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was cool. I thought Tamina looked really good. As I just said, uh, Becky looked really great in the match. I mean, she filled that role of like, you know, the baby face who's not going to quite get there. Um, and like you said, yeah, Charlotte and Natalia were just like working. Um, but yeah. And, and then at the end, you know, Carmelo wins with, uh, in a slightly less illegal or slightly less rule bending sort of way. Um, and we're back to where we started. Although I think Carmelo looks a million times better than she did after the pay-per-view and, and certainly the day before the pay-per-view. Yeah. It's a tough um, one for me. I, I'm not. I'm not on the Carmella train as of yet. I'm trying to get there because I, I know there's something working about it. But I don't know. When I look at all the rest of those women in that match, I, it's hard for me to see Carmella as the most deserving of that moment. But maybe that's why she deserves it. Well, Baron Corbin's the other one. I mean, the other Oof. Money in the Bank briefcase holder. Yeah, you can either go to the. Well, this is the first one, and we need to give it to the person who is the most over or the one that it will mean the most for when you go through their accomplishments at the hall of fame in 20 years or whenever right. it would be. Or you say, this is just like the men's match. The goal here is to get somebody over who's not quite there, but needs the, the special help up to then get to that point. Yeah. And I think Carmela's really good on the mic. Uh, she's approaching Alexa bliss levels of, of, of talent on the mic. What she doesn't have is the the physical 
um, gravitas yeah. that Charlotte has naturally, sure. that uh, Becky has naturally, well, that they've gotten from years of working in the ring. I mean, obviously, it, 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 on some level, the, the winning the Money in the Bank briefcase is a is a, is a symbolic gesture from WWE. It's sort of like WWE calling their shot. And sometimes it's you give it to Damian Sandow as a way to keep fans like us interested because like we know he'll get that shot someday. Now sometimes he doesn't it doesn't pan out and that's one of those cases, but um I think with Carmella it's it's a vote of confidence for her, but it's also I think in the brand split era especially on SmackDown I think it's just sort of like like an assurance that the that there's a lot there's more going on than just like the three matches that are obvious and right in front of our eyes yeah. does that make sense Absolutely. i didn't say that very well but it's like it expands the universe a little bit to just to have her out there and i think that probably she'll be you know i'm sure she'll be wrestling every week and carrying the briefcase will be a funny gimmick i'm not sold on her being in the main event outside until she cashes in you know six months from now or right. something like that but she'll that'll be it's a funny gimmick until then did I, you see the picture of her carrying the that's briefcase what i was just gonna train? say oh, i so think good. like that was my first moment of like okay i turned a corner a little bit i was like uh, all right this is what you have to do just rub it in be that person that carries it around everywhere and sort of like makes like rollins did i mean rollins really made money in the bank like a, a thing that people wanted to carry around you know and then he cashed it in at the most perfect time and so if they play it that way she's going to be good to go i kind of like would wish ellsworth was kind of maybe off the train a little bit but i really he, thought i i think he it, it feels to me like him coming in last night was a pretense for him getting fired or something like that right. because daniel bryan threatened to fire him then just kicked him out of the arena and then he came back and then he came back that i think i feel like that they were teasing the little, some heat there and who knows if it's a permanent thing i i like ellsworth's presence but i do as well i just i kind of like i want her to just sort of be on her own i think and let her sort of grow on her own a little bit i don't disagree um i just wish that raw could do something like this where they could create another star because right now like you said it's super thin yeah it's super super thin on ron on the women's side and so how many times are we going to run back uh sasha banks and alexa bliss well they have a they, they have to... a loaded roster but it's like at some point smackdown is just better at giving people second chances you know i mean i there's no reason why you can't book emma into the main event you know there's no i mean at least for like an off month pay-per-view there's no reason why you know like Mickey James or Dana Brooke can't like be involved in a main event angle. Um, I'd see that, that I'm going to disagree with you. They're not over. I'm not saying you just put them in. I'm saying that there's like, there's a way to get there. There's talented workers on the, right. on raw too. And I think that on SmackDown, you know, in SmackDown, it's possible to sort of reboot people in a way that they're just not given the opportunity on raw. It's, I was a hundred percent certain that Oscar was going to go to SmackDown and then that shuffle happened. And there's no way that Asuka doesn't go to Raw now because Raw needs her. Raw needs yeah. one more really like true lethal star who's brutal and aggressive who can come and like shake up that division because Emma is not going to get it. Uh, Dana Brooke is not going to get it. It's just not going to cut it. People are just not there. I'm not there. The crowd sure. isn't there. I mean, I, I like them all. They're all good people, good workers, but it's just not when you have like Sasha Banks, Nia Jax, you need that next. You need another person. You need yeah. one more person. It's definitely not Bailey either. No, God, she Bailey. was. I mean, that crowd was not having it. She got yeah. booed. 
Yeah. And she's never, she's, there, there's no way they're going to heal her. There's no way. They got I, I was saying, so I said much it on money Monday invested night. in the colors. She was teasing it on the Austin podcast, though. She was talking yeah, about, I think, like, I think that, how I do it. I think the move is just to have her be oblivious to the fact that people hate her. Just go even further with the baby face right. shtick, but just have yeah. her just do that. I was, it's like the, the, the take off that, that Simpsons Boo Earns joke. Are you saying Boo or Boo Earns? I was saying Boo Earns. Where like when everybody boos her, she's just saying like, you're saying booly, like, thank you. You yeah. know, whatever, just obliviousness. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's rough right now. Speaking of things that people may or may not be into uh we have a punjabi prison match coming up uh, <laughs> uh the next smackdown pay-per-view i just Hell I, only, yeah. I only bring it up to give credit to to uh the, the, like the a very funny and astute joke that somebody made on reddit uh what's his name this is the the, the reddit user is mcgolfin when ta- in talking about the punjabi prison match he's like if it's an escape match can baron corbin cash in from the outside and win <laughs> Oh, that's yeah. a great he point. Be, if someone then comes down out of the prison and they're just like out and then yeah. he cashes in and pins them. <laughs> no, yet. what if he just goes in while they're in and cashes in by virtue of being outside, outside of the of prison? The ring, you would win. He's already, oh, he's already the winner. Yeah. No, I think you have to enter the ring first and uh, the bell has to ring for the new match. Because that's basically what happened at WrestleMania. Oh, that's a good 30, point. Yeah, 31. they do have to start the the match. Yeah, yeah great I point. don't think this is correct. I just thought it was a very hilarious thing to There I'm were sure. actually a few people. I have to like give credit to some people on Twitter who like a month ago saying that Gender Mahal winning the only good thing about it was that there would be another Punjabi <laughs> prison match. Because mm-hmm. last night I googled to see like or I you know checked on Twitter to see who was talking about it. And back as far as like June the fifth, people were talking about the Punjabi prison match, and well, I was like, all right, good call. Yeah, I mean, I hope that. Either there's somebody on the writing team who remembered, because it was like 10 years ago. Yeah. Or if they just are watching Twitter and they're like, oh, that's a great (laughs) idea. Why don't we run this back? It's just in the vault. Yeah. Why don't we just dig the Punjabi prison out? It's like, well, let's make a match where you basically can't see into the ring (laughs) (laughs) from the audience. In the case of this match, it might be a good idea that we don't Uh, see it. Totally true. Guys, um, we got to get out of here. Of course we do. Uh, but the show is not over. We have a very uh, wonderful interview with Tony Schiavone. Just for the record, the interview starts with me running into the studio 15 minutes late. So it starts a little bit abruptly. And uh, and Shivani gives me uh, gave me some shit for it, I think, right before we started recording. So uh, without further ado, uh, and with apologies to Dean Ambrose, we'll see you back here next week. Humanoids. Just kidding. First, some ads. The Masked Man Show is brought to you this week by Simply Safe. Getting a good night's sleep is easier said than done, especially when you think you've heard a noise downstairs. Think about it. What do you do in that situation? Put yourself in a sleeper hold? A million dollar dream? Nope, that's physically impossible. You could turn all the lights and keep watch. Check your kids' beds every hour, sleep with one eye open, or you can rest easy knowing that your home and family are protected with Simply Safe. When you install your Simply Safe home security system, you're arming your home with powerful sensors that actually tell you if a door is open or if a window breaks. There's a 105 decibel siren that alerts you at the first sign of trouble. And a dedicated team of security professionals watching over you 24-7, ready to send the police. With Simply Safe, there's no long-term contracts, and around-the-clock monitoring is only $14.99 a month. 
So don't spend another night second-guessing your home safety. Get Simply Safe and get some rest. Go to simplysafe.com slash ringer and get a special 10% discount when you order today. That's simplysafe.com slash ringer for 10% off your order. Simplysafe.com slash ringer. The Mask Man Show is also brought to you this week by Proper Cloth. Finding a dress shirt that fits is hard. Just ask The Rock. Whether the collar is too tight or the sleeves are too long, your, your muscles are busting out and popping the buttons, something's always feeling off. Luckily, ordering a custom fit shirt has never been easier, thanks to Proper Cloth. At propercloth.com, you can easily create a custom shirt size in seconds just by answering 10 easy questions. It's a foolproof process. You don't even need a measuring tape. Plus, Proper Cloth has over 500 fabric styles to choose from, including premium Italian and Japanese fabrics, as well as business and casual styles, all starting at just 85 bucks. I can speak to this. I went to order a shirt on their website, and I got one, but I got frozen by the amount of options there. It's, like, really hard to pick just one shirt, so I got many of them. And, best of all, Proper Cloth guarantees a perfect fit, meaning that if somehow your shirt doesn't fit perfectly, they will remake it for free. No wonder Proper Cloth is the highest-rated custom shirt maker on Google. Even GQ calls them their favorite online custom shirt maker. This is the future of shirts. So stop wearing shirts that don't fit. Start looking your best with a custom-fitted shirt. Go to propercloth.com mask, that's M-A-S-K, today. Enter gift code M-A-S-K-MASK to save 20 bucks on your first shirt. Do it right now. And now, this is a shoot. No working here. Our interview with Tony Schiavone. What up, buddy? You guys know we have a guest, right? Has uh, Dave Shoemaker finally arrived? I am here. I am here. Sorry for the delay. Uh, Fuck, Dave. (laughs) What the flying fuck, man? We're recording, right? Yeah, I'm rolling. Yeah, three, two. Uh, I'm rolling, but uh, remind me to put the explicit tag on this thing. (laughs) Okay. Let's let's jump in right now, because that's actually the question I had in my head as uh, as I was rolling up, was in all of your years calling matches, what... What was the moment that surprised you the most as a real human being? Not in storyline, but like, what was what was the most surprising thing you ever saw in the ring? As a real human being, yeah. Wow, you know that that you you guys have hit me with something that I didn't even think about. <laughs> I, I, obviously, I would I would think that the giant falling off the Cobo Hall uh, <laughs> and, and then and still being alive and not having a scratch on it, not even being wet, uh, kind of surprised me. Uh, I, I think uh, the uh, and it's something we have talked about on our podcast many times. Uh, the Yeti coming in and corn and cornholing Hulk Hogan uh, <laughs> surprised me uh, in real life that I had to go put it over. But I think really what back to it the original thing what shocked me more than in real life than anything else was the fact that we had this monster named Goldberg and we were going to debut him on TV. And he's, he was walking to the ring. We still had no idea what to call him. That shocked me that we all thought this guy was going to really be something because the way he performed at the power plant, the way he looked, and now he's coming to the ring, and they still don't know what to call him. That surprised me more than anything else. That was the craziest story I think I've heard so far on your, on your great podcast, What Happens When? Uh, with Tony Schiavone. Was that first episode, was that Goldberg episode, and no one having a plan. 
because in WWF and WWE they go through months of like meetings about planning and packaging and creative services is a whole department that decides what your costume is going to look like and they just threw his ass out there and said go wrestle that is well I, I'm sure they didn't crazy. do that uh, yeah I'm sure they didn't do that I'm sure they got down got with him uh, that night or even leading up to that and said here's what we want you to do here's how we want you to act here's how we want you to be the problem was, and the breakdown was the communication with the announce crew that they, and, and, and again, you know, we obviously there's one of the reasons we, for our demise, but there was no communication with us. It's like, we'll get back with you. Well, you know what? They never got back with us that day and he's walking to the ring and I'd love to have been rolling on the uh, IFB communication between me and the truck that time, uh, because I was, uh, I was pretty upset with that. Uh, to the point to where I probably should have said, I have no idea who this guy is coming to the ring and what the hell, something like that. And that probably would have stopped tape. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's just one of the, uh, one of the notches in the belt of good old WCW, right? <laughs> I guess so. There was a lot mm -hmm. of crazy stuff that was happening in that era of WCW, um, you know, in, in all of those NWO, uh, you know, invasion moments in the early days, was there ever was there ever I mean I know that you were involved in you know I mean you were you were cued into creative but was there ever, there ever a moment where you um, wondered if maybe they were going a little bit too far no no I, I never wondered uh, if they were going too far I, I wondered if they knew what they were doing many times <laughs> but I never wondered if they were going too far it was a pretty exciting moment and I think people uh, forget the fact and I there are two things that back then that that led to to us being well maybe three things that led to us being red hot number one was eric bischoff having a vision to go big that no one else had number two us getting hulk hogan and number three tune in every week because you never know who's going to end up on our show from uh the wwf or wwe show uh those are the three things that led to us being really really big and i, I don't think there's any denying that uh it was pretty exciting time uh but but again we were we were moving so fast and we were so disorganized that Vince had a much more streamlined, much more organized plan about doing things from a booking sense, from a marketing sense to a planning sense and to a communication sense with his, uh, with his announcers. All right. I got to zoom out a little bit. I've been binging on your podcast, which is just really wonderful. Um, and I, I, I'm, you talk some about Ric Flair and about how he, you know, kind of lived the, not just lived the gimmick, but also just carried himself as a champion. And you were around for the, I mean, you know, the, the, the champs before Flair and the NWA, you know, were, were, I mean, literally traveling from town to town, carrying yeah. the belt along with him. What, I, I, the, when Hogan came, when Hogan was there and he was the champion, presumably the sort of mystique, I mean, and, and even after Hogan, when the belt starts getting passed around, the mystique of the championship is sort of, diminished right like what is the difference between rick flair in his heyday as champion and later you know at, at the hogan and, and post hogan era where where the championship belt just sort of gets tossed around yeah i i think a couple of things here i i think number one was flair's uh heyday as champion and the mystique of him being champion the business was different back then uh, I think back to, I even think, and I'm really going back now. I'm thinking back when I was a fan and Harley race was a champion back then. And Jack Briscoe was a champion. Oh, yeah. Those guys would come into a quote unquote territory 
on an irregular basis. But when they arrived, it was a big deal. And the world championship meant something. If uh, Harley Race would come into the Mid-Atlantic area, normally who was ever the U.S. heavyweight champion or the top uh, babyface at that time, and I can remember Dick Murdoch being the top babyface at Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling in the late 70s, or Blackjack Mulligan, they would wrestle the champion. So the champion had a mystique back then. Now, or even now as Hulk Hogan won the title and the title gets passed around, the... uh, it, it just didn't mean the same. And it wasn't necessarily the fault of the performer. It was a fault of, I guess, the evolution of the wrestling business. Well, Does that make sense to you guys? Yeah, there's there's a train of thought. And I think uh, Bruce Pritchard mentions it a lot on his podcast, who you're, you're doing your show with coming up. Um, right. That the belt is a prop. He says that a lot. It was just a prop. It was a storytelling device. It wasn't, it doesn't mean anything. And if you think it means something, you're a mark. Um, but don't you think, and, and tell me if I'm wrong about this, that in a way the belt itself was a draw for a Well, long yeah, time? of course the belt was a draw. The world champion was a draw. And again, that's back when everything was behind the curtain and everything you knew as a wrestling fan. And I was a big wrestling fan. You knew as a wrestling fan that, man, this, this, this stuff's phony. But then again, you'd see something and you'd think, but that's real. So it's got to be real. Uh, and now it's all out from behind the curtain. And now it's it's a prop. Uh, but back then, it meant something. Being the world champion meant something. And being the world champion, like Flair was back then, meant you travel the world uh, and defended the title, even going to Japan or Australia or wherever it was that, that they booked you. And they would have one promoter to book the world heavyweight champion. So it really meant something. You know, the belts have always been props. I mean, let's be honest. But back then, it was a little bit different. Yeah, I mean, that's it's definitely true. And it, it's I, I think we we all as wrestling fans sort of feel the same way that we long for the past, but realize that the present and the past are incompatible in a certain way. Right. Um, what about your uh, since you've started podcasting? Uh, I know you've talked some about sort of like you know re-entering the 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 wrestling world in a lot of ways. What what about your your uh, your your life has surprised you the most uh, in the wrestling world since you since you started podcasting? Uh, what has really surprised me most of all, by far, and I was talking with Conrad today about this, and of course Conrad Thompson is the guy that developed this whole thing and came up with this idea, and Court Bauer of. Uh, uh, MLW radio was the one that said, yeah, let's do it. Uh, what has surprised me to be very honest is the fact that I didn't think that people wanted to hear what I had to say. Mm. I thought the business had passed me by. And I told Conrad when Conrad said, you know, I've got the, an idea for a podcast. He laid down the, he laid out this entire email, which was pretty, uh, involved about how much money he thought we could make, how many listeners we could have, uh, and it just coincided with the the fact that my daughter announced that she was getting married so I could use some extra money. <laughs> uh, so I was like, wow, how about this? And I told Conrad, I said, you know what? I don't want to do this because I, I'm, I'm a removed from the business completely. I don't think anybody wants to hear what I have to say. And he said, I think you'll be surprised. And I'm just, I'm totally shocked that, that they do. Uh, I have, uh, my oldest son is 35. My youngest sons, they're twins, they're 29. So my kids grew up in that era. And my, my sons have often said, he said, he said, Dad, kids our age 
they're not kids anymore, but adults our age are really big into nostalgia, are really big into what happened back in the 90s, reliving those moments. A, that apparently is what's going on here. Uh, so I think the uh, uh, the want for me uh, has really shocked me because I I think when I uh, I think when I left and WCW folded, so to speak, uh, I don't think my work was really good, and I had a feeling I was not really liked. And I said, you know what? I'll just move on and do something else, and that's what I try to do. Yeah, there's definitely a a vibe in my generation of wanting to look back, but also the ability that we have to consume old content is beyond the imagination of someone from 1985 that we, I can on my telephone right now, I can watch beach blast 92 and I can see you and, and uh, Eric Bischoff in your Hawaiian shirts, uh, promoting, uh, flying Brian versus, um, uh, Johnny Polo or Scotty Flamingo. Flamingo. Yeah. You can, you can watch that shit now. And so that means that people want to go back and watch it, but also hear the people who were there, uh, and you were there for maybe the biggest two periods, or definitely the biggest two periods in, in the wrestling business ever, which is Hulkamania and the Monday Night Wars. And, and so you have a perspective that a lot of people don't have. And, and because the business has been opened up so much, now you can get away with that and it doesn't have to be in some weird grimy dirt sheet or YouTube video or something. You know what I mean? Yeah, I appreciate you saying a weird, grimy dirt sheet. That, 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 <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, that means a lot. Uh, but yeah, I, I look at this, and here's the way I approach my podcast. I, I'm i not going to do anything uh, on my podcast to try to bury any of the guys that I work with, because you, you, you don't get anywhere with that. Except for Evan now, Courageous. Yeah, yeah, nothing happening Evan Courageous. Uh, but... Uh, but I'm I, because I, as a shoot, I, I really liked everybody I work with. I, I enjoyed everybody. I, I didn't necessarily enjoy some of the people behind the scenes, but I enjoyed all the guys and I enjoyed all the uh, other announcers I work with. And every announcer that I work with, I, I I wanted to, you know, make them a part of the show. Mark Madden, Scott Hudson, uh, we all got along. We all uh, enjoyed our stuff. So as as a shoot, I'm not burying anybody. But as an also shoot. I'm not going to lie about some of my feelings about the business back then. I'm not going to gloss it over because some of my feelings about the business back then uh, were very strong. And I, maybe I should have voiced them more back then. I don't know if they would have helped, uh, (laughs) but maybe I should have voiced them more back then about what was going on. Because I remember we would just, we would just laugh. You go back and and take uh, our first uncensored, uh, that Turner came out with the edict that you can no longer have blood, and we were getting ready to run an uncensored pay-per-view. And Heenan and I, if you listen to the entire broadcast, we keep saying, why? Because it's uncensored. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm glad you mentioned uncensored because uh, I yeah. love that King of the Road match. Yeah. It actually looks awesome. You've yeah. got like, helicopters following the truck, and there's right. a bunch of hay flying everywhere, and people hitting yeah. each other with bells and shit. It's awesome. And also glad you mentioned Bobby Heenan, because we were talking off of the air, the idea between um, the heel color man and Bobby Heenan, Jesse Ventura. These are guys you worked with that you had a rapport with, and they're two of the best of all time. Right. And then you also worked with 
straight color guys. Scott Hudson was a straight color man. Uh, some when when you were doing the play by play, or or Bob Cottle, or whoever it was in right. JCP. Mm. Which one did you like working with better, the heel guy or the the straight babyface color? Well, that that's a good question because I think you have to go back and take a look at the era. Um, also, I worked with Gorilla Monsoon and I worked with Lord Alfred Hayes. I got a chance to work some with uh, Gordon Soli. Uh, I worked a little bit with uh, Kevin Sullivan. I just uh, probably going to leave out some. I I think I liked working better with the heel because I think it made the broadcast a little bit more entertaining on the entertaining level. But if I go back and listen to some of the old stuff from the late eighties that Jr. and I did together, like the first Clash of the Champions, oh yeah. Uh, that was good stuff. That really was really good stuff because it, if you watch that broadcast, man, it sound it, we presented the thing like a legitimate sporting event. Yeah. And uh, that was, I, I went back and I've been listening to this stuff and I'm thinking, wow, that was good. But still the days that I work with Heenan and I work with Ventura, those were great days as well. So I think really overall, I would rather work with a, a heel color commentator, but, but still there's sometimes that, uh, the old the old school stuff was was right on. When you when you call straight sports outside of the pro wrestling world, is there ever a moment where you look at the guy next to you and say like I just wish I had a heel right now that could <laughs> that could go off on this on this game? <laughs> no. No, I listen, I do minor league baseball, I do this alone and uh, I do have a color guy who uh, who has worked some with the Atlanta Braves, uh, Nick Green who works with me on home broadcast. I no, I I I don't. I try to keep that completely separate. Um uh, uh, but I mean, they, they look anytime there's drama, anytime there's any drama in legitimate sports, it really ticks it up a notch. We know that, you know, we saw what happened uh, recently with uh, Bryce Harper and getting thrown at the ball, thrown at him. And mm-hmm. that's that always ticks things up. Francis Crockett, God bless her. And that's how I started. I started doing baseball uh, in 81 in Greensboro, North Carolina. Then I went to the Charlotte O's in 82 and they were owned by the Crockett family and Francis, the sister of Jimmy and David and Jackie Crockett ran baseball. And that's how I eventually got into wrestling. But Francis used to tell me back in the day, and I'm talking about 82. She said, I wish there was more, more drama in baseball. She said, I wish a guy uh, at the plate with his, or would come from the uh, batter's box, come to the batter's box with his bat and point at the pitcher. <laughs> oh, and, man, that's, uh, that's a wrestling I, person thing to say. <laughs> that is, that is a wrestling angle. But I'm telling you, those those things these days really catch uh, the attention of people. And uh, but I try to keep it. I try to stay away from that. There's a little bit uh, of wrestling in everything these days. Uh, yeah, there is. Know, from politics to to legitimate sports. Not that wrestling isn't legitimate, but you know, non non worked sports. Uh, yeah, and it's, it's fascinating to me, and I think that's another reason why people are going back and rewatching it and re-experiencing wrestling is because shit, it's everywhere. It's yeah, all over I'm just, the place. Yeah, you know what? I how legitimate are some of these sports out there today? I'm not so sure. You know, I, I was tainted. Uh, I was. I, I'm the. I'm the be the first person to say that all the stuff that I saw back then. I was, oh, I saw so many things that they tried to make me believe was a shoot <laughs> and I didn't buy any of it. And when, when, when I saw that Mayweather and McGregor were going to go at it, I'm thinking, oh God, it's a work. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course. Then, I mean, I had on. the same thought. I'm still paying yeah. 80 bucks for it. I don't care. Um, right. There you go. Right. You know, yeah. Of course. I want to see that. It's a spectacle. Now there's right. a question I have to ask you before we move 
too far into other topics. And it's okay. something that Shoemaker and I have been debating for the last few weeks. On the Pritchard podcast, yeah. he alleged to Conrad Thompson that announcers, if they have to go to the bathroom, will just shit themselves. <laughs> is wow. that a shoot or is he no. working, Conrad? Uh, he's foolish. He's I, I thought shit. so. I figured. Yeah. Well, we, I mean, look, look, I, I worked for Bruce Pritchard for a year in the WWE. Uh-huh. And, and by the way, when we come up, when we have our live show coming up in Dallas on July 9th, Bruce is going to be with me. And me and Conrad and Bruce are going to discuss my year in the WWE because Bruce was my boss. Uh, when I did the SummerSlam pay-per-view in 89, Bruce Pritchard was the guy producing me in my ear. He's the guy I answered to. He's the guy that gave me my reviews that one year. And what I discovered in that one year was that Bruce Pritchard is full of shit. <laughs> and uh, that is just the, the, the what happened, or not what happened when, but uh, the uh, something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard, podcast full of shit. Uh, we would always try to go to the bathroom before the, the broadcast started. That's what I figured, but you think about the, the guys who do WrestleMania now, and that's right. a seven-hour broadcast. I, I'm sure you haven't watched a WrestleMania in a decade or more, but now it starts at about three o'clock and goes until about 10 or something. No, it's, <laughs> it's, it's do, they the same, do they use the same announcers all seven hours, though? They, I mean, they you know, split it between SmackDown and Raw. Yeah, they have but, some opportunities right. to get out there, right. I suppose. Yeah. I mean, I went to the bathroom 12 times in the press right. box at, at Camping World Stadium. That so would, right. God knows how many times they do. That's a it, yeah, it's a little bit personal, Dave. Um, right. <laughs> it's just it was number one. Okay, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. it uh, well, you know, I, I could see that uh, back then uh, when I was doing, uh, especially near the end of WCW Monday Nitro, if I would have had a chance to break away and go puke, I probably would have. <laughs> so, oh, so just for the record, I mean. You you said you know the, the the later the later work you did in WCW wasn't your best, right? Um, it, you could hear a little bit of discontent in your voice, maybe more than a little bit at times. That was all legitimate. I think so. I think it was a, a case of a couple of things. I, I think that I saw the company slipping away, uh, and uh, and that I was distraught about that because. Uh, even though you know, I'll go back and, and for until my dying day say that that TBS and Turner Broadcasting is a rotten company. Uh, they had great benefits uh, for me and my family, and it was a great place uh, financially to work. I, I think I was distraught on that. I think that we had so many things going at us uh, that it was hard to keep up with it. I think uh, that I was doing too much. I mean, I was voicing over everything, mm-hmm. Nitro Thunder and the pay per views. Uh, and, uh, and I appreciate their confidence in me, but, uh, I was kind of getting worn out from that. And number three, there was members of the booking committee that didn't like my work. And, uh, there was a political, uh, tug and pull on Tony Schiavone's work backstage. That all kind of wore me down. Uh, so, uh, what was the thinking he, behind not hiring a second person for thunder? I don't know. I, I, I have no idea. Uh, I, I can tell you this story, uh, and I am not so sure where we were. But when Thunder started, uh, I think uh, I may have started doing Thunder, but Mike Tanay took over doing the play-by-play for Thunder. And uh, it was Tanay and I think maybe uh, Lee Marshall or Tanay and 
and maybe Zabisco, I'm not sure. I was in the backstage area, and we were getting ready to do the show, and Tanae was out there all ready to do the show. And uh, Vince Russo and Eric Bischoff, who were now working together, uh, called me in the back, and Russo said, listen, and, and uh, Eric was in agreement, we want you to be the guy that does the play-by-play on these shows because you're the one that we trust. And I said, like, right now? And they said, yeah. I said, so you want me to go out and tell Mike Denae he's no longer doing play-by-play? And they said, yeah. And I did. And I really felt bad about it. And I went out and whispered in Mike's ear. Uh, and to this very day, I, uh, I even go, uh, the last time I talked to Mike, I, I many times apologized to Mike about how that was handled. Because it made me, what it made me look like was the guy who went running in the back of them saying, you know, I should be the one to do this. <laughs> yeah. But I wasn't. And uh, that, that, that was a bad moment in my career. Uh, and I felt bad about it. And then, of course, as we further went downhill, you know, all the shit got slung on me. Uh, but I, I feel bad about that. But that's what they wanted. And, you know, as, as a guy who's trying to make a living, you don't turn down, a, you don't turn down your work. Yeah. Uh, you, you try to stay out there. So, uh what was, there were some crazy things that happened back then. What was Bischoff like when he came back? Because that when period, he came back, yeah, that period is so strange, and and he had some heat from the first time. So coming back with Russo and all that stuff. Well, uh, for me, it was pretty good because uh, right before he left, he had entrusted uh, things to some people in the backstage area that I thought was wrong. Uh, he and I just, when he, when he and I talked on the phone when he was coming back and I said, Eric, I said, you know, there's a lot of things going on wrong backstage. And he said, yeah, I know there's a lot of people that I trusted that I've made a mistake in. And he said, that's going to change. Well, it didn't last long enough for it really to change after that. And then of course, after the uh, bash of the beach, Hogan walked, I guess Bischoff was pretty much out of the scene. Uh, at least told. Um, but I thought when he came back, I thought, I really thought then, man, we've got Russo who, uh, is, uh, you know, creative and, uh, puts a lot of effort into the more effort into a format and more effort into a wrestling show than I had ever seen, uh, with the exception of my days, my one day back in the WWE. And now we got Bischoff coming back who always had a pretty good idea on what he wanted and how to go forward and try to make it big. I thought when those two came back together that we were all, we were going to do something really good. Uh, but that didn't happen, obviously. Well, I mean, your, your career in, in wrestling is, uh, you know, spans such a long, and like Dave said, it's such uh, so many significant periods of time. Um, I got to ask, you know, you saw the best, who was the most uh, underrated wrestler? Um, in your opinion, that you that you were uh, there broadcasting for, underrated? Yeah. Well, you know, uh, I, I liked I liked, and I don't know if he's underrated anymore. I thought AJ Styles was tremendous. Yeah. Uh, and I, look, but but again, you know, I, I'm I'm old school in that I like uh, wrestling to tell a story instead of just doing a bunch of high spots to get the crowd to pop. Uh, and I know that's now kind of uh, what we see a lot of. Uh, I don't know if Arn Anderson was underrated or not. Uh, I guess maybe he lived in the shadow of Ric Flair, mm-hmm. which everybody did. But to me, uh, as far as a just a complete performer, being able to tell a story, being able to lay out a match, uh, and he can still do it, and he still does it with the WWE as an agent. 
I think Arn Anderson is is one of the greatest ever, and he may be underrated. Uh, and uh, I'll, I'll go to my dying day saying that. I've Steve Regal uh, is a good friend of mine, so I'm going to put his ass over. Uh, and I know he works for NXT and he works backstage. I always thought he was absolutely wonderful and could tell a story and was a great heel. Uh, and, uh, which just was absolutely tremendous and one of the funniest men ever. So, uh, you know, Steve Regal is not going to go down as a big star, like a Hogan or a flair or a rock or a stone cold or an undertaker, but he may be one of the most underrated ones as well. Do you feel like with, with WWE being, you know, the only big game in town now, um, obviously they pay all kinds of respect to Rick. Um, and you know, to to some extent, to the the legacy of the NWA and WCW. But do you feel like that that overall, you know, the NWA and WCW get enough respect these days, or do you think it's tough, you know, with with WWE having just sort of you know one out? Yeah, I, I'm not. So, I, I think they get plenty of respect with fans, uh, but I, I don't think they get enough respect from the WWE. But I can understand why because that was their competitor, uh, and uh, that was their. Uh, that was a blood feud back then. So, uh, they are smart enough to be able to use that stuff and make money on it, uh, in the old, in the archives and on the network. But I still don't think that uh, we get the credit we deserve now putting Ricky Morton and Robert Gibson in the hall of fame, uh, to me was mm -hmm. a, a move in the right direction, uh, because they were a big part of that. And having Jim Cornette, you know, induct them brings me back to the late eighties and, and the great things we were, the mid-80s, the great things we were doing back then. But but it, it's still the WWE slash WWF, and it's still them on top. And they're going to make sure that you realize when they're on top. A subtle thing, a subtle thing is that when you, if you're on your smartphone, if you go to uh, the WWE Network and you go to pay-per-views mm -hmm. and do the drop-down, and when all the... Uh, all the windows come up or all the menu items come up. WCW is last. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, is it ECW still on top of WCW. It's not and I'm order. Cause well, ECW you know, is second. I, I, I will say though, that, I mean, it's, it's, I guess, small condolence for, from the, you know, for what you're saying is that we were, Dave mentioned beach blast 92 earlier. We were texting about it yesterday. Cause it came, it was airing, you know, on the network. And because, you know, I, I watched all that stuff in real, when it, when it was, when it came on, but because WWE has has occupied so much of my brain for the past decade, two decades, really, um, that when that stuff comes on, I, I just pop for it like I don't for like an old WWF pay-per-view. You know, when it, I just I just get immediately sucked in and I'm just like, you know, holy shit, there's Dustin Rhodes and Steve Austin starting off a six man and like listening to your voice like Tony Schiavone is really great. Like this is like I miss all that. And uh and yeah, it's just, it, it, it's, it's not, you know, even if you don't, even if WCW doesn't quite have the legacy it deserves in terms of WWE, uh, the network gives us the the opportunity to relive those moments. And there, there's some spectacular ones. Yeah. Well, you know what, Dave, Dave I appreciate that. I, I really do. Uh, uh, and, and again, you saying that was something that I never thought I would hear again. Uh, and, and it means a lot. Let me say that. I also, uh, I, when I go out and do some uh, do some uh, signings and and do some uh, conventions, uh, it seems like fans. A lot of fans have the, and I don't know what it's called. It's a hardbound WWE encyclopedia mm -hmm. or whatever oh, yeah. it is they have, uh, and they always turn to my page and have me sign that page. Well, they get the worst picture of me that you can get. <laughs> okay, 
They have, and they stick that in there. And then if you read down, they always talk about me talking, changing the wars by saying that uh, Mick Foley is going to win the world title and that'll put butts in the seats. If that's all I'm, it's that's all they remember me for, then they are full of shit because uh, there was a whole lot more to my career than just that. Uh, and you know, I put that behind me, Mick Foley's put it behind me, behind him. Uh, and, uh, the WWE people should as well. So that tells me right there that they're trying to slime on what we did in the past. It's, uh, I know that you guys are probably doing, uh, bash the beach 96 for what happened when this week. And, uh, I think you deserve a lot of credit for the call that you supplied that night. Yeah. Um, because that, that's the hardest job, I think, that a wrestling announcer has. And you can tell me if that's not true or if that's true. But uh, to, to have to sell an angle that could literally change people's lives, f- uh, bank accounts, you know, wh- whether or not you're going to sell pay-per-views or not, or if you're going to sell T-shirts. And if, and if you fuck it up, <laughs> people aren't going to get paid. Right. So that, I, I don't know. Was there that pressure? Did you feel that pressure that night to put this over and to make this a thing? Well, I, I think I did feel pressure. Uh, I was unsure as to what is going to happen that night. And I know the line that you're talking about was completely off the cuff. It really was. I, I kind of came up with it right at the very end there. Uh, you know, unlike Bob Costas call at the end of the 1999 world series, when the Yankees swept the Braves, uh, that call he had obviously written down and sounded so phony. Uh, but then again, that's Bob. Um, so, but I just, uh, it was completely off the cuff. Uh, I didn't, but I didn't walk away thinking, boy, I really nailed that. I really sold that. I tried to present that as somebody who was a WCW guy would present Hulk Hogan turning on the company that brought him in. And I just kind of came up with that. But yeah, there was pressure uh, on me to, to try to sell it the correct way. Uh, and you know what? I, you know what I remember about, the, about that? I walked in the backstage area and Brian Nobbs said something to me about it. He went, great line. Whoa, that was a tremendous line. And that was the only reaction I got to that, of the, to that line until... Now that I've started doing the pay-per-view broadcast or started doing the podcast again, that was really the only reaction that I got from anybody backstage uh, when that happened. If, so. if it felt real. And I think that's that's what everyone who grew up watching WCW felt when they were watching the NWO, NWO angle when it started was, wow, this feels really real. And you seemed actually upset. You seemed well, really you, angry. Yeah. Well, you know, if you think about this, uh, uh, and then of course, listen, everything I did, everything I said was, I, I didn't put, I, it was a work. Okay. It really was. Sure. But, and, and I got to thinking about this as this is unfolding in front of me that, that I had been in the WWF back in 1989, back when Hulkamania was quote unquote, running wild brother. Uh, and I saw how big of a deal he was and how popular he was and how he turned around WCW and Hulkamania was running wild in WCW. We had a parade for him and now he was turning heel. So I knew this was a big, big moment. Uh, it really was. And it was a big, big moment that I kind of lived as well. Uh, so I wanted to say something and it just kind of flew out there. Yeah. You know, a lot of stuff flew out of my mouth. just kind of <laughs> flew out there. Oh my God. Have you, have you encountered anything in the podcast since you've been re- revisiting all this stuff uh, on the podcast? Have you encountered anything that you'd completely forgotten? 
Oh yeah, I uh, we were uh, we were uh, covering uh, Greed, our last pay per view, uh, Greed two thousand one, and the first match was Kiwi versus Jason Jett. So I sit down and watch it. I got it on the big TV at home. I watched a lot of it on the phone when I'm on the road, but I watch it at home on the big TV. And the match started, and Jason Jett came to the ring. Hell, I don't know who Jason Jett is. I don't remember Jason Jett. I and it, and it bless his heart. He's, he was he worked a pretty good match with Kiwi, and it wasn't a bad match at all. But I don't know. I I, I don't know if it's a, the combination of uh, of the years that have gone by, my age. Or, or maybe uh, uh, maybe it's early onset dementia, but I just I shit I don't remember Jason Jett. For the record, I, whose idea was Kiwi? So, uh, so people know. Well, that had to be Vince. That was Vince Russo's idea. Kiwi, excellent. Yeah, I guess that was. I don't know. Was that? I'm going to go back. Uh, old, really old school here. I don't know. And I guess we could ask Russo this. I don't know if that was a uh, a nod to uh, Abe Jacobs and the Kiwi leg roll or not. From back in the seventies, but uh, I think it was a reference to Mango, who was an SNL character played by Chris Kattan. Okay, see, with a little like uh, gorgeous George thrown in. Uh, there. Okay, there you go. See, you guys are a lot more hip than I am. No, so. I'm a dork, is what it is, man. <laughs> uh, there was an SNL episode. Uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not cool. Not at all. Okay. All right. Well, neither am I, and uh, I'm not cool, and I'm old. So that's a bad combination. <laughs> That's a good point. Well, let's make sure we get the details in here. Um, MLW Radio presents What Happened When Live with Tony Schiavone uh, at Three Links, 2704 right. Elm Street, Dallas, Texas. Um, doors open at 1 for the meet and greet. The show's at 3. It's going to be two hours long. Uh, the the living legend Bruce Pritchard is going to be your special guest. Um mm. And uh, tickets available are tickets are available at MLWRadio.com. Right. I'm sure this is going to be an awesome show. Um, well, I, I hope so. I know we're working hard on it, and I know we're going to do we're going to do some something. And I'm not going to spill the beans here because it's Conrad's idea, but we're going to do something that Conrad said uh, that we're going to do that's completely blown me away. That I, I told him I said you're lying. So no, no, we're I, no, we're not going to do this. So uh, that's it's it's nuts, uh, and I, I certainly hope this is kind of a test thing for me. Uh, again, <laughs> the podcast was a test thing for me, uh, but this is kind of a test thing for me to see that if there's a want for me to the, to go live with a stage show. Uh, and you know, I've been on Jr. stage shows, uh, uh, an evening with Jim Ross. Uh, and they are great and they're, they're fun and we relive the past and Jim is a master at it, but this is going to be a lot different because we're going to be, we're going to really throw out some silly shit, uh, that, that Jr. would never do. And I can understand why, uh, <laughs> because I got to be talked into some of this stuff. Uh, but I feel that, uh, that I like humor. I, I really love silly ass humor. I loved Monty Python. I loved all the silly stuff that they did. The sillier, the better. And, uh, that's just the way I am. So I, I, I can't really try to be something I'm not, <laughs> I never have been that way. So that, that's what this live is going to be. And, uh, hopefully it'll be- begin, uh, it'll uh, be the beginning of some, some great things. I just hope that, uh, uh, some of my employers, the Atlanta Braves and the Georgia Bulldogs don't see it. <laughs> just promise me one thing. Yeah, that you call out Bruce Pritchard live at this event 
for trying to fool us and tell us that announcers shit their pants. Oh, don't that's worry, it's cruel. <laughs> don't worry. Any any ammunition you can give me about Bruce Pritchard, I'm 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 willing to take in and take shoot him back. down. Take him down. I, I'm yeah. I'm very excited about this show now. I wasn't planning on going to Dallas, but I might have to fly out. This is Tony Schiavone putting over put, putting putting his own show over the way he used to, he used to put over WCW. This that's is right. this is a great moment in broadcasting <laughs> right here. Um, <laughs> Everybody that's listening to this, one more time, that's that's uh, July 9th is the show. I'm not sure I got that in before. MLW Radio presents uh, What Happened When with Tony Schiavone live. Get your tickets. Get to Dallas. Go and check you this can show still out. Go, yeah, you can still make it to see Great Balls of Fire that night. Uh, we'll be done in plenty of time for you to make it there. So, And everybody gets a VIP ticket. Everybody will get to meet and greet us, and we'll kind of hang out, sign autographs, take pictures or whatever. Uh, you know, that's been one of the, the really, and I'm sincere about this, that's been one of the really fun things about doing this is connecting with fans. You know, I've been calling fans on the phone who have bought my T-shirt. Boy, am I just, I'm selling some shit here. Who have been, have been uh, bought my T-shirt on ProWrestlingTees.com. I call them uh, and talk to them, and I've been able to reconnect with fans. I've been going to autograph signings and talking to the fans. They stroke the ego. They're very nice. It makes me <laughs> feel good about what I did, uh, and I'm really enjoying it. I really am. I went to a uh, independent wrestling event in uh, Staten Island uh, back uh, earlier this month. And I was told that, man, I don't, what are you getting yourself into? Because you're not going to, it's going to be demeaning. You're not going to like that. But everybody there was so nice to me. And everybody was, all the wrestlers and, and all the people who work behind the scenes were very nice to me. They asked me about their match, wanted me to give them advice, like I knew what I was talking about, and taking bumps and selling stuff. Uh, and I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. And that's a shoot. I really did. And got to meet a lot of people. And uh, so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm enjoying this. And I'm approaching this thing just like I approached WCW. I'm going to ride that horse until it breaks. And it broke in 2000, uh, 2001, and who knows how long this is going to last. Well, I hope it lasts for a long time because this your podcast and Bruce's podcast and I mean all all of all of you the legendary legendary people from the business coming back has been just like such an incredible thing for wrestling nerds like me and like Dave I, I think and yeah I can say. everybody on MLW is doing a great job so shouts to Court Bauer and everybody that's uh, making great content out there this is a good time for wrestling podcasts yeah it is uh, and there's a lot of them out there and the fact that mine has mine has been able to stand out. Uh, I guess means that we were doing, we did a lot of wrong things, but we were doing a lot of things correctly back then as well. Well, listen, Tony, thank you so much for coming on. I can't wait for your, uh, for the live show and I can't wait for more episodes of your podcast. This has been a real treat for us, man. Well, it means a lot that you guys want to have me on. It really does. Uh, and, and thanks. Uh, we'll, we'll talk anytime you want to. Uh, and, uh, thanks very much. Uh, I'm, I'm a very busy person. I've been very busy since the wrestling days have been over. Uh, and that's the way I like it. And now this gives me something else to do. But, you know, this podcast has afforded me the, the ability to be able to not only meet with the fans, but talk with you guys uh, on this uh, Mass Man show and uh, also reconnect with some of my friends in the past. So thanks very much for having me on. Let's do it. Uh, let's do it once again. Maybe the next time we talk, uh, we'll be coming out of a some sort of live show to where I was arrested or something for doing something <laughs> so stupid. You can call us with your one phone call from the prison. That, yeah. 
<laughs> and listen, that that was really nice to you. I was kind of secretly hoping that you like woke up today and looked at your looked at your schedule and you were just like the mask man. Me going on the mask man show. That's not going to put many butts in seats. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Can you give us a sign off saying that you, like an old nitro sign off, but for the mask yes. man show? Okay. All right, Tony Schiavone here on the Masked Man Show. Dave is here, but where in the hell is Dave Shoemaker? He shows up late once again. We are desperately out of time. The tape machines are rolling. We'll see you next week on the Masked Man Show. Something is always off when it comes to dress shirts. Luckily, ordering a custom fit shirt has never been easier thanks to proper cloth. And they guarantee a perfect fit, meaning that if somehow your shirt doesn't fit perfectly, they will remake it for free. Stop wearing shirts that don't fit. Go to propercloth.com mask today. Enter gift code M-A-S-K to save 20 bucks on your first shirt.